Today's show is brought to you by Valley of the Boom from National Geographic. This all-new six-part limited series follows the stories of three companies trying to change the world through technology during Silicon Valley's unprecedented tech boom of the 1990s. From the first browser wars to the story of a con artist who reinvents himself as a tech entrepreneur, these are the true stories of how the web was won. Valley of the Boom premieres Sunday, January 13th at 9, 8 central on National Geographic. But you can watch the first two episodes right now on demand and on the Nat Geo TV app. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That is me. Happy New Year from Vox Media headquarters in New York City. I'm sitting here with Neil Vogel. Hi, Neil. Hi, Peter. I want to call you CEO of About.com. I can't do that anymore because I'm like two years behind. You can. A lot of people still do. What's what's the current company? The current company name is Dash. Thank you. Dash is the thing that used to be called About.com. Dash is that. If you're very old, you'll remember About.com. used to be a fundamental part of the internet. We you would are, argue you still are? Uh, yes, we still are. I would argue that we were, we weren't, and we are again. We'll do the whole setup. Here's the way I want to set it up. I often write in stories about things like Verizon deciding they don't want to own Oath anymore mm-hmm. or own Yahoo and AOL anymore, that everyone knows that you cannot turn around a consumer internet property. Once it has peaked, it goes away. No one's ever done it. The one exception is Priceline. You can kind of argue that wasn't really a consumer internet business. Enter Neil Vogel, who says, I wanted to do this with this thing called about.com, and I have succeeded. Oh, no, no, I didn't want to do a turnaround. It but just you was did. so bad the first couple of years we had no choice. But you've but, taken an old-slash-faded internet property and said, I want to fix it, or uh, I'm, I'm trying to fix it. Yes, we did. and I. This is I, the premise of, the, of this discussion. No, no, I, yes. If it's not true, you should tell us. No, 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 that is, it, is, it is actually very true. Yeah, we, I got there almost six years ago now. Time is flying, and... Uh, what I signed up for ended up not being what I thought it was going to be. I, I, you, you know, the team at IC, Joey and Mr. Diller and the whole crew, uh, they'd bought about.com from the New York Times. So we'll, we'll, a, we'll, pull, we'll pull way back because okay. there's, there's terms here that old people like ourselves know. But IAC. Oh, IAC is Interactive Corp. Let's skip what it's called. It's, it's oh. IAC, right? It's, it's a conglomeration of internet properties, many of which you've heard of, some of which you haven't, controlled by Barry Diller. Correct. Who was a key guy in building up the media entertainment Yeah, the biggest pieces are Match, which is Tinder and Match, all the dating properties. Barry Diller, someone who made his fortune and name in Hollywood and then eventually moved to the internet and is still a very big deal. Uh, But I think if you're under 40, maybe less familiar with him than... than I don't know, you might not be familiar with him, but you're familiar with his stuff. Yeah. You've watched Fox. You've watched Fox. You've You've seen Expedia. You've been on Tinder. Yeah. So he's got this big conglomeration of internet properties, one of which became about... He bought about... He bought about.com. From the New York Times, about.com was uh, an early attempt to create content very cheaply uh, and then have it searchable. Yes, I think it wasn't. It, actually, the model was never make content cheaply. It was make a ton of content and cover everything. It was from a time of the internet, which the same this people who know who Barry Diller is will understand. 1996. Yeah. So like, like 90s, early 2000s, Early internet, if you had a brand, people recognized they would trust you. You could write about anything. So about.com was the everything to everyone place. And at some point, it probably had 100 million people a month using it. And what happened is— And it was—the idea was they paid people actual money. They paid people actual money. Not a lot of money, but to write Topic-level experts, like actual—had varying levels of expertise, different if it's cancer than if it's, um, you know, how to cook pizza or whatever. Pay them— Amounts of money to create content for them, put it on the internet, and then sell ads against it. A very simple model. Got very, very big. And then when the internet— Primarily because it was early, right? Because it was early. 
Um, it yeah, that had, model it had worked. built a brand, and the model really worked. The model really worked. Place did great. I mean, it was search based, right? It was you search could go based. to about.com, but you generally got there because you typed into some kind of search engine, and there used to be many of them. They were one of the first people to really grow on the back of search at scale. Right. They were one of the first. And they did a fairly good job of it. I think what happened was like what happened to a lot of media businesses, a bunch of owners traded hands a bunch of times, ended up with the New York Times. And as the internet changed, the business didn't change. And about right. had always been profitable and scaled. And I think, I mean, Comscore was probably around, I don't know, whatever it was. It had, it was huge. It was a top 10 site on the internet. There was a period when the Times was faltering, like 2007, 2008, and there was a lot of where they got to go bankrupt, where a lot, the conventional wisdom among smart digital people was the Times screwed up by not becoming about.com and not feeding about.com. And if they were smarter, they should have turned the New York Times into about.com. So the, I'm, what, I'm exaggerating only slightly. No, you're not. Exa- uh, what the cash flow from about.com, again, I wasn't there. I can't say this. The cash flow was about.com is a big part of the reason the New York Times still exists during that time period. The New York Times sort of like everyone says, well, the New York Times messed up about.com and then, you know, Barry Diller bought it and that was your opportunity. The, the Times didn't actually mess it up. They just optimized for what they needed. They needed cash flow. It was profitable. They, yeah. So they just didn't invest and they, in it. And they also, to be clear, like this is, I don't think they would be comfortable today, but they certainly were comfortable in 2005, 2006, 2007 in sort of taking the about.com model, which is farming out lots of editorial work to lots of people like, and stamping the New yeah, York Times. Culturally, it was like full-on organ rejection. It was kept separate. You know, the Times newsroom had not a lot of interest in someone writing about quilting yeah. and, and saying they were a New York Times employee. So it just, the whole thing, it just didn't work. And then at the same time, the internet really changed. So back when About.com started, if you twisted your knee playing tennis and you like went on Yahoo or Excite or Google and had to figure out like, oh, well, what's wrong with my knee? About.com was fine. But as the internet evolved, all of a sudden there's like a WebMD and a health line. And you wanted that answer from someone more specific. If you were cooking dinner and you wanted the barbecue ribs, you wanted that that recipe from like Epicurious, not about.com. Maybe, but it, but I mean, it, it worked for something, right? There was a period where demand media, and there was a whole period where like people got really good at gaming, Google. They Google. did, but the, so... There is no business in gaming someone else's algorithm in the long term. That's been not proven good, over and yes, over and over. It's not over a good long term. You can definitely make money in the short term. Whether you're like upworthy or whether you're demand media yep. or whether you're a little things, there, there's like, there is no business in that. So we actually got beat up a little bit, but it was because our content got old and bad, not because it was like shitty farmed stuff. That's never really what we did. What we didn't realize was, and I think what About.com didn't realize was, as the internet got more specific, and there were food sites, and there were financial sites, and there were tech sites, they, they clung to About.com. And they're like, well, it's a big name. Everybody knows it. This is the future of what's going on. And when I got there in 2013, I was positive the best asset we had was this brand that we'd be able to rejuvenate. We'd clean up this content. We'd sell some ads. This would be easy. This would work. And it, it turned out that what we thought was our asset was our problem. The... On the internet today, 2018, 2016, whatever, you can't be everything to everyone. And About.com was still trying to do that. So when so, so you get there in 2013 and your job is fix slash clean up About.com. You it's probably a, don't remember this. I spoke to you right I, after I, 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 I... I Googled and found the story that I wrote <laughs> right, about right, you. Right after I started, I and we were speaking on the phone and you got like 
in a perfect Peter Kafka so annoyed with me because I just wouldn't tell you what I was going to do. And right. the answer was, I had no idea what we were going yeah. to do. I, and like the answer that we thought we were going to do was so simple. I thought you were going to be bored by it. I'm like, oh, we're going to make the content better and make the product better and here's, sell some more Here's ads. a good line <laughs> from this story from 2016. No, no, no. I'm sorry. This is the reboot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 16, sorry. you did a little bit, I think, on when we yeah, launched. Yeah, 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 yeah. But there is another article there. We can Google it. All right. Anyway, so um, what we realized when we were there and we spent two years trying to fix about.com is that we managed to fix the monetization. We managed to clean it up. We managed to make it so that, like, you know, if you went to a cocktail party, you weren't embarrassed to say that you worked there. This was, for a time, this was the worst product on the That internet. was the main problem. Was, that was, was a big, was, like, we couldn't Barry hire anybody. We couldn't do anything. Um, and by the way, just to go back to Barry Doer, right? Yeah. He owns a bunch of properties that people are not going to flock around you at the cocktail party because they're curious about um, there's a couple that are sexy, like Tinder right. and Daily Beast, right? Right. And most of them are not sexy and people don't care, but they I can mean, make a lot of money. Yeah, Home Advisor, Angie's List. I right. Mean, they're, no one's going to say, Angie's List, tell me more about that. No, I mean, I, they might on this podcast. I think what IAC saw in this was they, they said, okay, we see something that's owned by the New York Times that is not investing in this. It still has a 50 million people a month using it. It's still big. It's still profitable. We can probably make something of this. And we, it's a little bit of like, we have the longest view in the room. We have the patience. We'll wait it out. We'll yeah. get someone to come in here and try and run this and build a team. So that's what we tried to do. And for the first two years we were there, we basically did, we did a lot of things right and a lot of things wrong. But the summation of it was everything was in the service of the wrong idea, which was about.com. We got to the point where We'd managed to fix monetization a bit. We'd uh, hired some really talented people. We sort of like, we did a little bit of um, like what a bad basketball team would do. Sign a couple of free agents to change the tenor in the room. We got some talent in there, but we still couldn't win. Still the same product. Still the same product. So, and and um, was the thought always, this is going to continue to be a search-based business, even though when you get there, that's the ascent of we, Facebook and everyone is orienting their businesses so around Facebook? When we were scrambling and trying to figure out what to do, we tried everything. We tried making content for Facebook. It didn't work. We tried being better for search. It didn't work. And what we concluded was sort of like where we started before, which was we have a brand problem and we have a, we still, a product's better. We have a product problem. People who consume content want expertise. Everything is about trust. And we're also doing a lot of things that were not core to what about.com does. So we really boiled it down to said, we are going to make content that has value, that helps people. And starting with that, we said, okay, what gives people value? What gives them, well, great content, comprehensive answers to their questions gives them value. And we need to communicate them this value. So we need real brands. So we we had this relatively, in, in the the lore that, that the six people are interested in, the lore of uh, our history. We had this meeting with like the senior crew at IC where we just went in and we said, listen, this isn't working. We're going to run this thing this year. We'd, we'd managed to make well, a little bit was, more money. Well, yeah, what was the thing that tells you that traffic working, right? was going down? Traffic was going down. Going down. So Every month was going down. Back to where we Every started, month. right? This was an aging internet property. Aging. And no matter what we did, it was going down. Consumers are moving away from it. Advertisers are moving. We had a meeting with Which like, again, you can, make, you can make money doing that and you can harvest that for but a long I, time. I don't right? want to do that. You no, don't want to do it. But, no. but I mean, in theory, that there's a way you can say, all right, this is an aging internet property. We can run it efficiently. It's what the New York it. Times is doing. But that's not like the IAC move. They thought they had something here. So we went back to the crew of people and said, listen, we got two choices. Do the model you just outlined. Or I think, this is going to sound insane, we can turn about.com into what Condé Nast should be. We can turn about.com into what her should be. And here's what we're going to do. We actually have great content. It's always been great. We've done a pretty good job upkeeping the content. 
We still are paying th- people to tell you how to fix your knee after you screwed up. Playing paying them a lot of money, like more than anybody else on the internet, to tell them how to fix it. What knee. is a lot of money? I don't know. Well, depending on the vertical, anywhere from like a hundred to five hundred dollars an article that that's, we then that's spend. an actual freelance rate that people get paid. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, again, if you have an orthopedist writing about knee stuff, who's like a you know a tenured professor at a medical school, and that's that and that's paid. and that's the premise, right? You're not paying a guy who's googling uh-uh. how to fix tennis nope. knee and then read. Nope, no, that's the demand medium. Yeah. Like we didn't do that. Doesn't that doesn't work? That's a so anyway. We wanted to create real value for people, so. Went back and said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to throw away all of our content that we don't think is any good. So we had 1.2 million pieces of content. We went down to 300,000 pieces of content. And we're going to align with areas of the internet that we think we can add value and create value and where we have some critical mass. So that lined up with health, personal finance, tech, travel, and home and food. And we said, we are only going to do stuff that has a three-month or more life, three months to three-year life. So evergreen, explainer, service content. We think there's a huge opportunity on the internet to treat service content like it's important, like it's beautiful, and we can win, and everything else we're going to throw out. So we threw out no news, no sports, no fashion, nothing breaking. We're not making any content for social. We're not doing any of that stuff. Anything that has a sell-by date is perishable. I mean, like, some stuff has a, like, definitionally, if you're writing about personal finance, things have a sell-by date, but it's not six hours from now. Right. And we're like, Twitter's not our jam. Facebook's not our thing. We're going to work. We're going to build a business that works with algorithms that care about quality content. We're going to care about Google. We're going to care about Pinterest. We're going to care about Apple News. We're going to care about Flipboard. We're going to care about building our but own primarily audiences. Google, right? I mean, it's still... We're primarily Google. I screwed up many... I'm on Google. Every, I mean, searching. yeah. Everybody in our business is... What is, the, what is the advantage of getting rid of content? If, if I'm not looking for it and you don't show it to me, but it's still there, why, does it, why not keep it there in case someone stumbles There's on it? two reasons. One, advertisers don't like to see old things floating around that are bad. Go back to you, like your knee example. If Our user experience, like in very well, our health site, it's super vertical. You hurt your knee, you come in, you're going to go deep on knees. If you go deep enough, we don't want you to find something that's 10 years old. The average age of content on our health site is under a year. Like we don't you will want not you, find something. We don't want you rooting around in the, the dustbin. No, and more importantly, it's not that. We don't want to give you bad advice. Right. We don't want to give you dated stuff. So, so you have we, three different constituencies, right? There's the actual user, there's Google, who's going to send me to you, and there's the advertiser. Yes, that is exactly how we presented it in that meeting. And we said, brands are better for all three of those people. One, users trust brands better, so let's make some brands. Two, we had a very famous meeting with a very large computer company that said, we love about.com. Your traffic is really intent-driven. It performs well. We're never giving you another dollar because why would we when we can give it to The Verge? You're like, yeah, even if it doesn't perform as well because I'm not putting my brand next to about.com. So, like, so okay. Dell or whomever knows that people yes. are searching, looking for computer information, and ending up on your site the, and saying, I do not want to advertise there. They don't want their brand. So, okay, so consumers have to trust it. Brands have to trust it. And then algorithms have to trust it. And what had happened to us is algorithms, they're super smart, but they're not that smart. If you have, like, how to fix a flat tire content, the same place, like, how to make a chicken pot pie, the same place how to unclog a drain, the same place that's, like, symptoms of diabetes, they have no idea. Algorithms can't figure out that you're good at all those things. So you have to make it easier for them to understand what you're good at. And then when you have the most comprehensive articles with more videos and more graphics that are written more frequently with a terrific bioed author, they can recognize that and reward you for it. And that's what happened. So you see, we're going we're gonna to take this content that we've paid for that has value, 
right? There's still someone clicks on that old article. Yep. Someone's paying you for it. And we're going to get rid of that. It's an asset. We're just going to throw it out. And we are going to muck around with the site that has significant search traffic. Mm-hmm. We're going to, at best, we're going to take a hit, right? Correct. At best, we took a hit, but we right. But we know, but, the, but it, right. But the point is, we know we know we're going to take a, sur- a search hit. We know we're going to take a traffic hit. We know we're going to take a revenue hit because things that were generating revenue are going away. You present this to Barry Diller. Correct. Barry Diller is not a chill dude. No, he's. Look, it makes I, people cry. His favorite, what's the, the term? There's a big article in like Fast. It's called um, Creative Conflict. I love the place because you. People either love it or they cry challenged. and leave. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen anyone cry and leave. But look, it's not the easiest place. But it's because they're really smart, passionate people that you work for that know a lot about a lot of stuff. Yeah. Like my favorite Barry Diller stories are always like the times when you'll disagree with him. You'll be in the shower two days later and be like, oh, he was totally right. Just He's just seen so much stuff that he just has a he might not always use like words you totally get because it might be like a Hollywood word you don't uh-huh. know or whatever but he's by and large his view is correct and and he's in, they're incredibly patient so when we sold this story the reaction say, everyone say, expected why are you was like my asset that is generating revenue I don't know he was basically like in, into it was him and you know Joey Levin the CEO also there was a little bit like great, you guys could have come to us with this six months ago and it would have made sense. So go do it and go do it quickly. And I think that the reason we were able to do this and the reason why there have not been very many, if any, real consumer turnarounds is usually there's no patience. It's an old media company with a problem. It's someone that's raised venture money. It's someone who's already public. So we basically said, give us 12 months. We're going to spend a bunch of money and we're going to take about.com and we're going to launch our new brands that we're going to make up from whole cloth. And what we're going to do is, and you can't just go to them with that idea. That's not enough. The idea we said was, we said, okay, we just had an experience for the last two or three years where everything that you can do wrong in publishing, we've actually done. So there's two things we need to do. We need to take back leverage. Take back leverage from who sends you traffic and how you get it, and take back leverage from how you make money. So we said, for the how are we going to get traffic from people We said, this is easy. We're going to do something that no one's doing now. We are going to focus exclusively on making the very, very best content. We are going to make the fastest sites on the internet. Our sites are like Google Amp Speed on their own. And the controversial thing we had to sell is, not only are we going to take this hit for like splitting these things up in domains, but we're taking about 35% ads off the page. And in every vertical we go in, we are going to have fewer ads than any of our competitors by a material measurable amount. So... That's a big leap to take, yeah. and they took it. They're like, "Great, do it! How quickly can you get these things launched?" So, so, speaking of patience, we're 19 minutes in. Okay. So this is well past the time we normally take a break. So let's take a let's break, break, and then we can hear how it happened. Great. All right. Coming up next, let's flash back to the early days of Silicon Valley with advertiser content from our sponsor, Valley of the Boom, an all-new limited series from National Geographic. Check it out. <laughs> Oh boy, my Silicon Valley CEO in a box is finally here. Oh, yeah. Got that entrepreneurial spirit, but still just an Ivy League dropout plugging away in a garage? Then you need Silicon Valley CEO in a box. For as little as one round of Series A funding, you'll get everything you need to disrupt and take risks and be the boss of your very own startup. Inside, you'll find essentials like the Palo Alto Tuxedo, also known as a hoodie and cargo shorts. 
you'll look just like a real founder who's been up all night thinking about something like a user interface. You'll also get the big book of business speak. Unsure what to say to early investors? Or anyone, really? No problem, we've got you covered. Try, it's time for a pivot. Or, let's iterate. Or, when all else fails, listen, we're here to make the world a better place. Congratulations, you're on your way to launch an empire. Silicon Valley CEO in a Box is brought to you by Valley of the Boom, a six-part limited series on National Geographic that will introduce you to the CEOs who led California's first tech boom in the 90s. Valley of the Boom, premiere Sunday, January 13th at 9, 8 Central, only on National Geographic. Back here with okay. Vogel. Still January 3rd, give or take. We've just taken back traffic yeah. <laughs> before the break. So, and this is, so when I, this is when you brought me in to say, here, we've done this with this first brand. This is the health brand. Right. Very and well. like you said, we took a hit, but then it started to work. So you had this thing that used to be about dot-com health. Yep. You replaced it with very well. This, yep. this article that I did pull up. It was my words, not yours. Uh, compared it to Mike.com. This is, is oh goodness, no. This at the time was right, right. what you were aiming. Well, and, were, I, and by the way, I found other articles. You're like, we want to be like BuzzFeed or Vox. All, all these sort yeah, of we're never, none of those things. Facebook oriented, highly valued web publishers, circa 2015, 2016, and thought was people like them, advertisers right. like them. We're going to look more like them. So you do that with very. We do that with about.com. You get so rid of we launch the very stuff, well, launch and it. we do this thing. We make. Really great content, super fast site, fewer ads than everybody else. And all of a sudden, of those constituencies, algorithms start to like us. But, but, first, but first, there's the lurch, right? Like the thing you knew was oh, there's coming, a lurch. right? Oh, yeah. There's, and there's so like, how long is that period? Uh, we've, so we launched five different brands. The lurch period was anywhere from like a week and a half to a couple of months. But the first time out, right? A couple of months. A couple of months. So you're on the roller coaster. You're going down, which is planned. We're going down, which is planned. But if you're normally in a roller coaster, you know it's going to so work. So the darkest here time was, know. no, the darkest time was we were two months after the Very Well launch. We had some green shoots that it was going to work. We were already like half pregnant with our next two verticals. Like there's no going back on this. Right. this is, there's very few things you can do on the internet that you can't reverse. This was a non-reversible thing. And then over Labor Day weekend of 2016, it just all started to click in and traffic started to go and traffic started to go. And as soon as we saw that and all the engagement metrics for a user totally changed and we were seeing numbers that like you'd never see with about.com. We're like, oh my God, this is working. And then it just hit and it worked and the flywheel happened. And users liked that model, algorithms liked that model. And then what happened for advertisers is the most fascinating thing. We knew that Selling audiences we never thought was that interesting because you can get an audience anywhere and rates just get clobbered and crushed by everybody. So the one thing that we knew and a little bit, the one thing about Always Had is we have very intent-driven traffic. People don't generally come to our site. You don't come to a health site or a finance site or a tech site to hang out. You come because you want to learn or do something. Turns out that traffic is super clicky. When you take super clicky traffic. Clicky meaning I've come to your site and now I'm going to click to the next thing because I'm And I'm going to go deep on, on this one yeah. specific. It's a very uh, north-south experience. I want to learn about 529 plans. Tell me more. Tell exactly. Me more, tell me more. Exactly. So what happened was our audience quality is extremely high. Skew's pretty young, really good. And then because we had fewer ads on the page, our ads, A, performed better because of the audience, and B, performed better because we had three when everybody else had six. And we do no pre-roll, no pop-ups, no interstitials, none of that. So all of a sudden, on every plan that we're going on for an advertiser that we sell, 
we're like the top performer. But, so, but, to, so, but to back up a second, so when you switch from about.com, well-established decade-plus of search traffic, you're going to scrap that and put this brand that literally no one's heard of. Yes, and I assume you five can times. Do, on the back five end, you can do no some redirecting, of. right? But still, like, it's a yeah, scary yeah. thing. Google is a faceless thing. Like, there's 40,000 people who work, whatever the number is. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. There. There's, like, warehouses full of engineers right. figuring but this out. Are you, do you go out and say, by the way, here's what we're planning to do. Could you make you sure— can't, There's no talking to Google. Right. But so what, you're up what with, you do is you, you technically were very good. So what you just have to do is you have to say, well, here's the old map. Here's the new map. Right. Here's the answer key, how you get from the old map to the new map. I hope you guys like the new map. Because there's a period, we'll right, where the computers go, I, we don't know what very well it is. We're not sending you there. We've never heard of it. You, you lose all your traffic, and then your traffic comes back. And what? there's nothing, there's no flare you can send out. You can't get to Larry Page. You can't no, get to No, I mean, Sundar. I wish you could. Right. No, you can't get to anybody. But what, what you can do is, I mean, there's, the, look, Google's pretty good at calling the internet and mapping yeah. the world. you got to give them, like, the old map and the new map and the key to get from map to map. So... They figured it out. Traffic went up. All of a sudden, you know, we had some advertisers that still liked about.com that we poured over. All of a sudden, like, our performance is off the charts. So now the only way you can have leverage over advertisers today in 2018 is if your stuff works. And um, the programmatic markets will tell you what works or not empirically. Like, there, there's no content studio. Like, you'll make—that is on the margin. That is not a core business one can be in. Marginally, it can help you. So our stuff started to really perform, so advertisers started to really like us. So now we've got traffic growing, we've got users growing, advertisers really like us, and cut to, this was, we did this in 16, the, we're now, I think, Comscore, which we feel the same way that everyone else does, but we were like mid-40s when we started this. We were mid-40s over, when you mid came 40, to About? Mid-40 million a month. No, when, no, we were higher than that. We, we, we were probably... So you came to About.com. They were I don't know what we were when we got there. But Give we or take. 60, 70. 60-ish. That declines. Pro we were 40s, low 40s when we started to launch brands. Then it goes down below that, right? Uh, I, you know, I, we bumped around there. If, if they were measuring properly, right. it would have been below that, but it didn't really. I think it, I don't think it really got below low 40s. Now we're over 80. When you, all Look, in. All in across our five brands. So About.com, a quarter of the amount of content on these brands that are really working and I have to ask We've this because it's, it's, it's newly relevant again that you're not rolling up other people's no, 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 we do that. No, we, we, zero bought traffic, zero roll up. Oh, that's not true. We roll up um, a very, very small health thing called the Cleveland Clinic. Okay. Well, but that's, that's, but that's, I look that's a real thing. Full, full, it's a full, full, it's really I also much like not, that I fact-checked you live on but the it's, podcast. Uh, no, no, but it's, listen, I'm, I'm, we're transparent, but it's not big. Yeah. It's small. But so if we're 82, 81 of it is us. There's no like weird... Vice roll up with yeah. all kinds of crazy stuff in it. What have What have you learned? Because I'm old, um, so I remember coming to the internet, and we spent a lot of time um, trying to make Yahoo happy, and then the next phase was trying to make Google happy. Um, and spent a lot of time optimizing for search and trying to figure it out, and a lot of articles about how unfair the Google search results were. Um, they obviously went through the Facebook phase. We're, kind of back to the Google phase? Do you think that the, that Google as a search engine, as a distributor of traffic, has changed any significant way or it's still kind of the know. same I think beast? You said, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to something you said about you use the word unfair. And the concept that publishers think people or entities yeah. or platforms are being unfair to them in any way is insane. And we'll talk about that in a second. Now, Google, I think it's super simple. The best way to look at Google is they want to give the best answer to someone's query. If it's a simple query, like what day is Christmas, they're just going to do it themselves. If it's a more complicated— More and more, more right? More and more, increasingly. Right? Like, so what, when does the Super Bowl start? 
people are still going to write that article in January of yeah, this but year. But if, here, look, but, if you but, write that but, article, but, are you really providing value? No, to the it's world? terrible. And it's by terrible. the way, I've done it. But 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 the point is, Google also says, "Well, we know when the Super Bowl starts. Right. So we're going to tell you that." And more and more, they are putting that stuff in that box. And right. maybe it's their own stuff. Maybe it's a Wikipedia. But there's more and more sort of keeping you on the site. Which I would assume would be for someone like you who's in that business of providing an answer, particularly tricky. Look, anything any of these guys do is tricky. I think we'll call it answer box or there's going to be yeah. different things they call it. Penetration has, I don't know, gone up massively in the last four or five years as our traffic has doubled. So if you're providing— So even while Google is keeping more people on site, providing more have, answers on site— If you site, have diabetes and you need diabetes information, just because Google gives you some symptomatic answers on their page, you need real information about diabetes. If you're, like, really a chef and you really want to do recipes, you're not going to do some, like, recipe they clipped in their box. You're going to go deeper on that. So the other thing is it's incredibly dangerous now to try and guess what Google wants. You're, you're never going to know. You're always going to—it's like um, you're always going to be guessing what they wanted yesterday, not what they want tomorrow, and you're going to do the wrong things. So what you empirically have to do— is look at your content and look at everything else out on the internet that covers the same thing and is yours better. And if you can't say that yours is better, undoubtedly, you're not going to win. The, Google has said this publicly that says, and I think this is true for Pinterest, and I think it's true for Apple News, and I think it's true for Flipboard, and I think it's true for human behavior. If we show up with very well, and WebMD is there, and Healthline is there, and Everyday Health is there, and we are not materially better than them, no one's going to use us because they're good enough. So we're now the third biggest health site on the internet. We've passed Everyday Health, which is a crazy thing considering we launched less than three years ago. It's because we spend so much time on making our content great and making it easy to understand that people are Do you think Google is, is harder to game than it was a few years ago? That I they've gotten better at sort of spotting the equivalent of a demand media now and going, this is bullshit. I think so, but look, there's someone is, it's like any algorithm. You're always going to be able to find, like, there's always going to be some arbitrage one yeah. can play. Like, maybe some, like, weird arbitrage with content marketing and Google Mod. There's always some, but the loopholes close very quickly now. We don't really pay attention to that. We're much more concerned with, is what we're doing better than everybody else? Is our site faster? Do we have fewer ads? Do people like us? And our challenge now is, I think technically our process is to make this content, and we update everything on our network at least once a year, the most popular stuff like once a month, is we're now, it's all flipped. We now have a softer challenge is we, we have to build brands. Like the spruce needs to mean something to people in home and food. I think it means a little bit if you're a cook. Very well needs to mean something to people who have health issues. I are you limited here? Is there, are, are, is there a finite number of, of these verticals you can do? Are there stuff that you don't want to do because it's not on brand? Or if you can make good content and there's an audience that advertisers like, you'll, you'll get So there. I think the, the filter for us is we want intent-based audiences. Like we might think we can make great sports content, but we're never going to do it. It's a different kind of audience, different kind of sale, different kind of value, different kind of ad deal you sell, different kind of way to set up your programmatic stack. It's a whole different monetization. So we're very much into people that have a specific intent to build something, make something, cook something, diagnose something, eat something, you know, get some inspiration for a project, you know, all that. That's our, our very narrow focus. So there are a couple of other areas that we like and we've looked at. Uh, we're, again, I think if you look at us now, we're still what, 25% of the size of WebMD. We're still 20% of the size of all recipes. We have so much growth in our verticals. We're looking to add some things to our verticals, and we're looking to add some things outside of our verticals. It's a new verticals. I do want to ask you about video yes. a little bit more. Yes. At one point, everyone was supposed to talk about their video strategy. Everyone stopped talking about their video strategy, but I'm assuming... No one asked have, us. But you have to keep <laughs> no doing it, right? Yeah, well, we, so our, we don't have a... It's an insane thing for someone who produces 
content like us to have a video strategy. We don't. We have a best content strategy. And for instance, we have a lot of traffic on, on very well around like yoga poses. People love doing yoga. They want to do poses. Turns out that we put a lot of videos on these things. No one liked them. You know what they liked? We started to make GIFs or GIFs. I don't know how to say it. Me either. GIFs. People like GIFs. So our video strategy is that needs a GIF or that needs a chart or that needs a screen grab animation or that needs a video. Same crew at our place. Right. I mean, them. the big difference, right, is you can't put pre-roll in front of a GIF, I guess. But we don't put pre-rolls in front of any of our videos. But you can't. I mean, it's much harder to like, – there's, there's a business for even though it's diminished or less big than people thought it was going to be for – Taking a video and putting ads around it. No ads in our videos. We found that human beings hate ads in front of videos or in the middle of videos. So we just don't do it. We just make videos. And when I said before, like, we'll spend 400 500 bucks on an article because we know what it can yield for us. Part of that is the cost of making a video. And we have our own team. It's like 15 people. We have our own studio right by our offices. We have our own green screen. We have our own kitchen setup. We have our whole thing. We, Who's doing we, the yoga poses? Uh, That's you, We right? have No, it's not me. Nobody wants to be near me doing it. I'm very sweaty. No one wants to be <laughs> near me doing yoga. Um, no one never wants I'm to nodding, watch I'm nodding yoga. knowledgeably, yeah. but I, I'm just taking your word for it. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so we make, I mean, we'll make, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm going to get the number slightly wrong, so I'm going to get mad, but I think we're going to make 3,000 or 4,000 videos this year that will be specifically targeted to one or two articles each because it enhances that experience. So you have video operation and you do not monetize video nope. directly. Nope. I think that is very unusual. But for us, it's so when, when we look at yield, we don't break down the elements. Let's, let's take a, um, this is an ISC thing they like a lot, sort of like the unit economics of what we do. If we have an article that costs an amount of money to make, how does it have to monetize it? How much traffic does it have to get to make that article? Video is just a cost bucket mm-hmm. unit. We're not saying, well, the video cost yeah, yeah. us $1,000 to make. We need to get this much. It doesn't work I'm that way. I'm just saying that I assume people have either come into your company or people like Barry Hiller said, why don't you put ads in front of that video? Oh, no, no. We used to. See, we used to do everything. We yeah. used to put ads in front of the video, yeah. but no one liked it and the ads didn't perform. And here's the other thing with us and pre-roll is we could never compete with the CNN or YouTube anyway. So it was always like a throw-in for a sale. Now, we will make branded content videos for partners, which do a lot of, but we run those as branded content only, not as a pre-roll. Like we'll make like a, you know, for home guys or for, you know, like a big home retailer, we'll do a big series for them. But we don't, we're not in the traditional pre-roll monetization. We don't do a lot of stuff other people do. We don't do pop-ups, we don't do interstitials, we don't do any of that crap. People don't like it. So you made Barry Diller happy? Uh, I think so. Yeah, you know, he tells you? I mean. Yeah, he's not going to talk about What I would he's, say is. Is he talking about you at a cocktail party? My is guess he talking is about he's me not. specifically? About Absolutely not. Dash. Is he talking about Dot Dash? I actually think he is now, and he wasn't for a long time. And I think it was in the IEC has announced uh, in the fourth quarter of this year they're breaking us out as our own segment. So the world is going to see our financial performance and all kinds of metrics. We're obviously pleased and it's gratifying that we're now like a material piece of this public company. Um, probably took a little bit longer to get here than I would have liked, but whatever. I think the outcome's pretty good. So you can tell me with a straight face today, I took an aging internet brand that was in decline to pull this back where we started, and I have revived it slash turned it around. Yeah, we have. Yeah. We have. We're materially above $100 million in revenue this year. We're profitable. I think I see in the third quarter earnings said we were up 35% year over year in revenue. So let's say Hans Vestberg from Verizon came over and said... Oh. This oath thing that used right. to be run by Tim Armstrong. We paid $10 billion for it. We wrote off $5 billion. 
we still think we'd like to do something with it. Can you help us turn it around? Is is there a forget that you, you're always going to work for Bridge Dealer, but is, is there a way to turn around a Yahoo AOL to things that are massive like that? I don't know. I don't know. We're much more concerned to look at all the other assets in the space and see which ones fit us than to try and figure out how to fix them. I don't know how you fix that. I, this is my first publishing gig. I've never been a publisher before, and I think we, out of arrogance or whatever you have when you run things, I showed up and thought this was going to be an easy thing to fix. And it took us a while to figure out, like, what is our real value to the universe here? And I think at a, a lot of these properties, like, there's no value in the universe for them. Like, if they never, if they departed from the internet tomorrow, does anybody care? And if the answer is no, then I don't know that it's fixable. Yeah. Again, you can do the harvest model, but... You can do the har- Look, there's there's money to be made if you have traffic. There, you yeah. can always do the I mean, harvest People are making model. money from landline telephone still. Yeah, and AOL, whatever. You're making money yeah. from dial-up or whatever. But uh, like, uh, Shout out to my, my mother-in-law, who is not listening to this, <laughs> but does pay AOL 10 bucks a month. It's amazing. For security uh, reasons. She says. Oh, well, whatever. But look, I, I there is always a way to win with content. Here's the, the enemy of publishers. There's a few enemies of publishers. One is raising too much money because you lose discipline. I don't know what you're two, talking about. <laughs> two, two, that was not... I didn't mean it that way. Two is— um, These are fake plants, by the way. Exactly. They really <laughs> it's are. In a studio. Yeah. Uh, two is by being too beholden to legacy things. And we never had too much money, but we did have a lot of patience. So we were able to mess up some stuff because we had too much patience. And we were a little too wedded to a legacy thing that we're like, ooh, this is not right. And, like, the world—the the, the internet waits for no one. People who are complaining that Facebook changed your other, like, guys— Facebook is not a public utility. They have no yeah. their interests are Google does is not a public I mean, one could argue they might be, but they don't think of themselves as that. So to the extent you're helpful to them, you're helpful to them. To the extent you're not, you're not. So you need to be ready for the days when maybe they deem you less helpful. And if you're not, don't complain about it. Like do something about it. Yeah. So prior to this, you, prior to the guy who ran Dot Dash at the, at the yes. cocktail party, you were known as the Webby's guy. I was the Webby Friends guy. That's, so that's right. if you love thank the Webby's, thank Neil. Yes. If you think the Webbies are kind of silly, uh, no, talk to Neil. Come on. Well, I think the beauty of the If you're not Webbies familiar is, with the Webbies, let's just explain it. The Webbies the is, we are the Oscars of the Internet. The Oscars of the Internet. So I think— The big the, secret of the Webbies is you have to pay Every to award you have Webbies. to pay. You have to pay for every award in the world. No one is like— But the maybe Oscars not like the Nobel business Prize. model is not built on, on Warner— Giving them money, right? No, but they have a eight gazillion dollar TV saying, deal. But the, like they're making right, money somehow, right? You, but your the the Webby business model is Mashable and Mike and Fox Media and everyone Maybe else. Not Mike. I'm sure. I'm sure. At one point they wrote a check <laughs> and they say right. every time you yeah, submit. Yeah, the model. You, you the model is. Um, the, the interviews are definitely part of the model, but also a big part of the model is they aggregate an audience of people that a lot of companies want to get in front of. So it's a big sponsorship business. And, and this was a thing that existed but was in some yeah, benighted the Webby corner Awards and no one were, touched it. They were owned um, in a prior life. Uh, the Webby Awards were owned by IDG. Yep. And they had been part of, there was a, at one point in the 90s, a magazine called The Web. <laughs> that a print magazine about like what websites to go to, and the Webby there's Awards. There's a Yahoo magazine. There's a lot that. of people that claim to have founded the Webby Awards. I don't know. I actually have no idea who did. You did not. I, I did not. I did not. It came out of the Web magazine. It was a very San Francisco event in like the '90s, and then it didn't wasn't around for two years. So we, uh, my partner Roger and I, thought the internet needed its award show, and they'd done some really cool things. And one cool thing they had is they had this, like, five-word acceptance speech concept that you only get a five-word acceptance speech, which has been sort of like the calling card. And we bought the intellectual property. 
And we relaunched this award show thinking that this could be something really great. And then we had like a, like all businesses have moments of whatever. People are like, well, there is no luck. It's just, it, it, it's a lot of luck that our, our very first Webby Awards, we had about a thousand people enter. I think the most recent one had like 15,000 enter, but we had about a thousand people enter and we did it in New York. And somehow or another, we, we gave Al Gore an uh, in in award for like, you know, a lifetime achievement award. For being and, awesome with the and, internet. Right. And for being awesome with the internet. And Al Gore came to the Webby Awards and was like, we were like, I cannot believe Al Gore is at the Webby Awards. <laughs> you should like, be here, sir. But this is, I mean, this is like 12, 13 years ago. And it was, it was like his first public appearance after going dark after the election. Uh-huh. And his five-word speech on stage was, please don't recount this vote. Very and the, the, it was like the first viral moment on the internet. And it was on like, I remember it was on like World News Tonight. It was on 60 Minutes. And that was the thing that launched us is like, whoa, the Webby Awards is this interesting, it's like the Clio Awards, industry award, but it had this like pop culture thing. Yeah. And in years after that, we ended up, we've had Prince there and the Beastie Boys and Jimmy Fallon and all these guys. And it turned into this like- And the publishers all asked their publishers, readers, fans, yeah. whoever to please vote. So it becomes this thing where more people get invested in it. Yeah, it's fun. Was, it's like a fun Was program. there a time when you thought, oh, this has moved from like novelty to like this is a recurring business? And There was a, um, yes, like our third year doing this, the New York Times in the art section- did like a very big profile of the Webby Awards. And when that happened, we're like, oh, this has arrived. And I think the Al Gore moment and the New York Times moment were the two things that sort of like catapulted this into, in the in the creative award space, and it's still like a B2B thing. There's the Can Lions, there's the Webby Awards, and there's sort of the Clio Awards. And there's a bunch of other things that are small and so around you, it. So you build this thing that becomes a successful thing. It's a once a year thing. I'm assuming there's a natural thought like, well, all right, I built a thing that works. Make more of it, or you know, it's only once a year, and you know, there's a lot of risk. How, what else can I do with this? So the com- well, the company is called Recognition Media that on the web is. We we actually ended up running nine different awards programs. So something called the Tele Awards, which is a video awards program. Something called the Communicator Awards. We use sort of like the same. Uh, it's actually not that different than what we do now. The same backbone to run all the awards, but each one has its own sort of like vertical architecture So you did do that. Let's awards. build it out. Yeah, we built it out, and then we sold it to a private equity shop. And then I was sitting around. That's how I ended up here. And, and they threw me out when they bought it. They didn't want me anymore. Now you're here in downtown. No, I'm here downtown. Box World third. HQ. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, well, it's a two HQ thing, just like Amazon. Oh, I didn't know we're, that. We're split between D.C. and New York. Oh, I didn't. This uh, is the that, second HQ. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, right. the politics stuff has to be solved. Uh, so you're going to build, you're going to buy. We're going to build. We're going to buy. Barry Diller shops do not pay top dollar. Uh, you know, I don't, that's the, there's this Although you did win the bid for about.com. Yeah, this is, there's this conception that, that um, IC is very disciplined and smart and they'll pay for value. And I think we're just going to be really disciplined and smart. We want intent driven brands. Again, I think the problem with our business now, if I could put a finger on is our brands are just not, we, we have the opposite problem of every other publisher. Our business is much bigger than our brands. Everyone else has, like, if you're, whatever, content asks, your brands are much bigger than your business at this point. We're the opposite of that. We're trying to find some brands that we don't have to teach people and see what we can do with those. Excellent. That's an Thank excellent you. plan for this 2019. <laughs> Thanks for coming. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks to you guys for listening. Um, I know I've been away for a while. I thought I was going to be back sooner, but... That's what happens with life. Uh, thanks for sticking around. Thanks for everyone who pitched in and helped out while I was gone. Thanks to Golda and Eric and Joel and Lydia Polgreen and Maggie Haberman. And who else am I missing? Kurt Wagner did a bunch of podcasts. I was going to so, say Kurt Wagner. Kurt Wagner's awesome. 
Everyone is awesome. Um, if you like hearing me interview people, good luck. There's more of that coming soon. So thanks again, and we will see you soon. This episode was brought to you by Valley of the Boom from National Geographic. This all-new six-part limited series follows the stories of three companies trying to change the world through technology during Silicon Valley's unprecedented tech boom of the 90s. From the first browser wars to the story of a carn artist on the run from the FBI who reinvents himself as a tech entrepreneur, these are the true stories of how the web was won. Valley of the Boom premieres Sunday, January 13th at 9, 8 central on National Geographic. But you can watch the first two episodes right now, on demand and on the Nat Geo TV app.